Amen. Now let's look at Hosea chapter 11 and receive grace from it. We have seen the main text for today. God is saying, "How can I throw you, throw you away, Israel?" God is expressing His love for Israel right now. So the prophecy of chapter 11 is talking about the, is prophesying about the time before the destruction of northern Israel. Northern Israel is going to be wiped away from the face of the earth. But even though this nation may perish, the people of the Lord, the Israelites, still remain. The judgment for the world is for its being to be destroyed, to perish. The judgment given to Israel and to the children of God is actually the love of the Lord. It is His compassion. So it is not good, and it is not a happy life for you to continue to indulge in evil on this earth. God loves us, and so He wants to help us to keep and defend uh, the holiness that that He has given to us. So even though Northern Israel is going to fade into history, God's love for the Israelites still remain with them. So chapter 11 and 12 talk about uh, repentance, reconciliation, and peace. Now look, at, look at verse 1 to 4. But even though God loves Israel, He's reminding Egypt of their evil. He calls Israel His child. One of the core uh, topics of Hosea, verse one, verse chapter one to chapter three, talk about the relationship that Israel has with God, and that is the first thing that was spoken by Prophet Hosea to remind Israel of its identity. And in that perspective. The church is also being prepared as the holy bride of the Lord. And so this human history is going to end when we are wedded to the, 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 uh, the Lamb. And we have to have this deep and intimate relationship with the Lord so that we can go into His secret place. If you maintain this holy relationship with the Lord, He is going to invite you to this wedding. And the, and the focus of this relationship of the Holy Bride is in uh, sanctity. So the most important thing that the saint has to maintain is, is sanctity, is to not be polluted by the world. Because God puts a lot of meaning in sanctity and purity. So even if you cannot utilize power and authority, God bestows His love and His meaning into those who are pure, those who are uh, holy. 
So that's why in our spirituality, it is most important for us to maintain this purity. We should not be polluted by the world. And when I look at these spirits, along with God, I'm also very pleased to see them. I see, oh, how, how amazing it is that there's a spirit like this in the world. To them, their only motive, their only goal and focus is to follow after the Lord. They do not require and seek anything but God. And those are the pure spirits of God. Amen? So the relationship with the Holy Bride, the focus is here, purity. If a, if your if your woman loves this man and that man, then you will not be able to continue to love that woman. And today we will see. But God also uh, calls Israel his, his his child. And of course, this is, all this is out of love. Uh, the Holy Bride is a relationship of love. Being a son is also out of the relationship of love. And being God's people is also a relationship of love. But, the, but there are different uh, uh, points and meanings behind these relationships. But as the child of God, we become His heirs. We are in His, his inheritors. There's two meanings behind the Greek word for son. One is technon. And one is wheels. Wheels contains the meaning of being the heir of God. That is not simply a son, but you are you become an heir. If you expand the meaning a little bit, it means you're you're the firstborn, the eldest. And that's why in Exodus God calls Israel to be the eldest of his people. The eldest receives uh, twice than the rest of the, the siblings. But also, the responsibility given to the eldest is also double the rest of the siblings. And in the end times, the eldest, the, the firstborn, will be the remnant of God. And God is going to rule over the earth through his remnants. Now, since God is going to, God is prophesying His restoration with Israel, that's why He emphasizes that Israel is His child. They were the firstborn, and so God blessed them with the promised land, with Canaan, but yet Israel has fallen into uh, corruption. And he's rem God is reminding the Israelites about how much He loves them. Verse 1 through 4, in order to emphasize the love of God, he, Hosea talks about uh, the love of the Lord and then the betrayal of Israel, the love of the Lord and then the betrayal of Israel. This is the pattern that he follows. Verse 1 talks about the love of the Lord. Verse 2 talks about Israel's betrayal. Verse 3, the first half of verse 3 talks about the love of the Lord and then the second half of verse 3 talks about the betrayal of Israel. Verse 4 again talks about the love of the Lord. This is the format that he uses to emphasize the love of the Lord. It's comparing how big the love of the Lord is and yet how polluted Israel has become. This morning we, we shared that God is a God of love. Apostle John knew of that love 
And so he, he defines God as the God of love. And people who are able to believe in this, no matter what they face, they will see the Lord's love behind it. Because, because God is the God of love, no, whatever He does to you is out of His love. Hardships are part of His love. Having money is a part of His love. Not having money is a part of His love. This is, this is what it means to believe in His goodness. Many people feel blessed only when, when something good is happening to, happening to them. And they cannot stand having to go through difficulties and sufferings. But rather, God loves us more when we're going through these uh, hardships. If you believe in the goodness of God, you're believing in His, in His, uh, you're believing in His goodness, you believe in His love. And who has a good faith? Those who do not limit, uh, the, limit their ability to receive the love of the Lord. In Colossians it says, We have been moved from the kingdom of death into the kingdom of love through, through the Son. The Lord's kingdom is the kingdom of love. And it is a kingdom where there's only love. And God's love is being poured upon us through the Holy Spirit every day. This is according to the Romans 5 verse 5 it says the Holy Spirit demonstrates the love of the Lord in, in us every day that love is confirmed all the time every day that love has to be has to manifest within you because God, that's who he is but why can't you receive his love and of course there are many reasons for this but because it is because your channels of love have been shut The three channels of love is uh, a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. These are the three channels in which you can receive love from God. But because this, this, these channels have become filthy and become clogged, that you are unable to receive His love anymore. And this by itself is a, is a long sermon. So if you want to listen to it, then listen to my ex, uh, expository on Second Corinthians. So what we need is to receive the love of God. And we need to realize His love in the midst of sufferings and hardships as well. And for that God to stop, to, to say that He's going to stop loving His child, it brings much pain to Him. And when God says He's not, he's not going to love you, He isn't going to stop loving you but rather it means he is unable to show you his love anymore it's because of the the the, uh, the corruption of Israel and the corruption of his child and that and he would tell his pain and express his pain to his prophets and what is the characteristic of, of prophets they are very keen to know the heart of the Lord of course apostles also know the heart of God but they did not understand the heart of the Lord as deeply as prophets. <clears throat> Rather, apostles are more specialized in knowing the thoughts and the will of the Lord. But the prophets understand the heart of God. 
They know how sad God is, how happy He is, how much He is in pain. People who know of this are called prophets, and that's why prophets are emotionally sensitive. But apostles, rather than being emotionally sensitive, they are more faithful. When you look at, when, when you compare me to my wife, my wife is very sensitive emotionally to God. But I am not usually shaken, no matter what the situation may be. Even if something amazing happens, of course I'm I'm grateful and thankful. But I am not overly expressive. I just look at that event and say, and and I, I just go over it. That is the characteristic of an apostle. So at times apostles may seem a little cold to you, but it doesn't mean they are cold-hearted. Their their hearts are actually very hot. Don't you believe me? <laughs> so God would uh, give His heart to to His prophets. He would let them know of His pain, and He will let them hear Him crying like a ho- uh, jackal. And sometimes he would share his shame and embarrassment with his prophets. For example, like Isaiah, when he had to minister for three years uh, naked. So the life of the prophet is is very difficult. They have they go through a lot of up and downs with the Lord. And if God has called me to be a prophet, then I would be a prophet. But I would never say, Lord, I want to be a prophet. So Hosea knew of the pain in God's heart. And since Hosea knew of the pain of the Lord, he was able to also embrace Gomer. Gomer. Because God continues to call Israel as his holy bride and he's waiting for them to return. And that's why Hosea was able to receive Gomer as his holy bride as well. That is the power of the Lord's righteousness. No matter how much the uh, how much the world says it is filthy, if the Lord says you are righteous, then that is it. In the New Testament, we are, we see we have seen the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, and through his sacrifice, he has made us whiter than snow. Now let's look at this message of restoration. Verse 1. When Israel was a child, like I said before, verse 1 talks about this child. It's talking about the parental relationship between the Lord and Israel. This is also a very amazing uh, relationship. Israel used to be slaves. But God did not simply save these slaves from, from Egypt, but rather He made them, made them into His heirs. It is written clearly in, Ex- in Exodus, I have called you to be the firstborn. Like I said before, salvation is not 
giving, giving, giving food to the poor. It means a beggar is able to become a prince. That is the inspiration of, of salvation. Hot, cold water becoming hot water is not salvation. That, it has to be chemically transformed. Water has to be changed into wine. Water and wine are, chem- are chemically different. If you receive salvation yesterday, then you are completely different from that person that you were yesterday. I'm not talking about emotions. But as a being, existentially, all the functions of your spirit has been completely transformed once you have been saved. That's why Paul calls that the new, co- new, new creation, a part of new creation. And Isaiah prophesies this as that this is the second creation of God. It's a new creation that happens after the first creation of Adam. Adam was created through the power and the strength of the Lord. And of course, that was an enormous event. But the second creation is different. The second creation, the new, new creation beings are birthed from the sacrifice of God. It's like how a pregnant woman has to nurture and raise that child for nine months in her womb and to birth it into, into the world. The, the second creation, the new creation is when, uh, when we are birthed through the sacrifice of God. So once you realize the importance of salvation, you will realize why God loves us so much. When we look at the Bible as a whole, it doesn't say very often that God created man. It is there, but it's not very common. Rather, it says we were birthed by God because He has birthed us into this world. When when it says we are made in His image, it means He has transplanted a part of Himself into us. And it is called Chalem in Hebrew. This This is a transplant that He has done for us. In Malachi, it says we were not made in a factory. Print, he did not print our spirits out like, like a factory worker. He would cut off his own life and, and put it into us. And that's why Jesus was willing to come upon this earth and sacrifice himself for one spirit because we have received His His Spirit. And that's why we can understand. That's why He he loves me. That's why He has poured all His glory and all His nobility upon us. I always say that there's nothing different between uh, us and Jesus because those who are holy and those who have been made holy are of the same nature. And of the same nature is the word henos. It means one. He and I are one. Within the dynamic of the triune God, He has invited us into that relationship and made us one with Him. It means we are of the same nature and our relationship are also uh, united. So we are not called to be a, a good people. 
but we are made to be gods with them. There's only one difference between us and Jesus. He is an independent, he is a God, but I am also a God. He's an heir, I am also an heir. He is, a, he is a temple, but I am also a temple. There's nothing different. Isn't this amazing? It's tremendous. But the only difference is he is an independent God, whereas we are a dependent God. If you have met the Lord properly, then your dignity will reach that high. But simultaneously, you need to be humble and rely on the Lord. Because without Him, we are nothing. Look at what the world says. If you have, even if, if no, matter how, no matter how Babylon treats you, even if you have little money, it doesn't matter. Because, how, because God has given you His nobility already. So what can the world say that is going to diminish your glory? No matter how you're treated on this earth, do not care about it. Because our lives are, are going to begin once the kingdom of God comes. So our timetable and schedule should be set up according to that. Our ministry and our church is also geared towards that, that, that schedule. When I look at the current state of my church members, I would fall into despair. But when the kingdom of God comes upon this earth with glory, I believe that they will all stand receiving that glory. And I'm, I'm pastoring them with this faith. So my focus is not what and how much they're doing right now. I'm just waiting for them to stand before the Lord's glory on that day. Because the result of our lives are not on this earth. Of course, how you live on this earth is going to decide your glory on that day. But we don't have to form our conclusions on this earth. Do not care about what happens to your body on this land. Do not care about others' opinions. You have money, you're smart, you're rich. These have nothing, no meaning. It is how God looks at you that is important. Are you, have you received His nobility? These are the most important things. And a person that is living with these things will not be oppressed, will not receive spiritual wounds from the world anymore. And rather, you would look down upon the world. You would be able to mock and look down upon the world. Because scale... According to scale, the kingdom of God is, uh, is incomparable to the scale of, 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 the, of this earth. So that's why we can look down upon uh, the world. Amen? So this is how tremendous it is to be a child of God. And that's why the angels have to serve us. Because we are heirs. You are tremendous beings. And this is, this is the foundation of our spirituality and one of the most important things that you, can, you have to receive. Once you're able to receive your being, you live like a big beggar because you think you are a beggar. But if you know that you are a king, then you will live as a king. 
it, this all comes from knowing your being. The Bible is recorded for the kings of God. It is not recorded for the beggars of this earth. The, the Bible is not written to the workers of the land, but it's written for the heirs of God. So once you lose sight of your being, you, you won't be able to believe in the message of the Bible anymore. Because it is a message given to kings, so how can a beggar understand this, uh, this message? If you cannot accept your being, the, you, the, the Bible will not become your inspiration. If you cannot believe in this right now, you have to believe this in faith and receive it. After meeting the Lord 34 years ago, never once did I forget about my identity as a king. And my wife finally understands why I was so arrogant and prideful before. She finally realizes, this is why you were so prideful. But that was not pride. But it's because I was, it, but I, I was living with power and authority. I've shared about this before, I think. I was able to believe that I am a king. Because so one day I had to, to catch a taxi. I called for a taxi. And the taxi, taxi passed by me and stopped a, a, a little ways away from me. And I am a king. And so I told him to back up, back up to where I'm standing. But he wouldn't budge. And so I, I, I lost a lot of taxis. Because I believed fully that I am a king, I felt like I deserved that, that, that uh, service. And also, because I was a king of the Lord, I was not afraid of death. There was a season where God required me to pray on top of the mountain. There's a famous prayer mountain in Korea. One day, there was a thunderstorm and lightning started to strike the mountain. But I wasn't afraid. And so I held up an umbrella and went on top of the highest uh, rock that I can find. And I was testing to see whether or not the lightning would strike me. And the people next to me was, were, were, were going crazy. You're going to kill us all with, along with you. And so because I was afraid for them, I, I came down. I was, doing, I was acting that way because I fully believed in my being. So in the beginning of my faith life, I, because I believed, uh, about, believed in my royalty, when somebody gifted me things, I would not thank them. When I went to my in-laws, when I, when I go over there, they would have already prepared something to receive me. My mother-in-law, would, when she receives things in her house, when somebody gives her things in her house, she, she would say, oh, I, I guess it was time for my, my son-in-law to come. And when I receive, I'm very thankful. But never once did I thank them verbally because I deserve these gifts as a king. I'm sure my mother-in-law received a lot of spiritual hurts because of me. But that's not the case now. I'm very... I'm very expressive of my gratitude, but I thank her as a king as well. So, and also when you are able to believe in your being, that's how God treats you. He treats you with respect. And God is really pleased when you, when you uh, acknowledge your own, your own identity. 
But when you lose sight of that, you won't be able to believe in the Bible. So once again, the Bible, the message of the Bible is given to the royal beings of God. Without being a royal being, you won't be able to understand this message. This, the power and authority to rule over this whole universe is given to the church. And so if you're unable to believe in that skill, then you're not a part of the church. And no matter how much I say God is going to be accountable for your churches, you won't be able to believe that. And there are not many churches that are able to believe in that, uh, in that, in that fact. And this is all an issue, a matter of um, <clears throat> not believing in their identity. And because they don't believe in their identity, they live very timidly and they uh, go insane whenever they're faced with um, problems. This is all faith of your, of your being, faith that comes from knowing your being. If you have faith, then problems do not become a problem. Even if there are problems, it is not a problem. Money cannot become your problem. The church that is in charge of the universe, how can it worry about money? It's a matter of faith. But they don't even know that it is, it is a matter of faith. For every area of your life, it is a matter of faith. It is not a matter of your actions. God only requires one thing from you, is to, be, to have faith. Do you believe in this? If you truly believe, then you have to live according to that faith. It's a matter of whether or not you believe it, not a matter of, not a matter of if you're able to do it. In my case, I say I stand firmly in the faith that God has given me. That there's nothing in this universe that can shake my faith. Never once that I was I shaken. For example, for example, when I'm sick, I eat medicine. But when God tells me I have to end this battle, then I would not take medicine anymore. I would not go to the hospitals. And right now, my my shoulder is that case. This is this is something that God is requiring from me. So I never went to the hospital. This is not a matter of being uh, being uh, being evaluated. This is something that the Lord uh, wants me to go through, and this is faith. And when I say I want to do something in faith, God does not stay put. And of course, there's a reason why my this pain is being prolonged. But if you if you decide to uh, live in faith according to Psalms. Chapter 2, it says, The righteous shall not be shaken. The righteous shall not be shaken. Amen. Let's continue. So to realize how confident you are when you have faith. Uh, let's continue on. Uh, since it is the last session, we've got to end this briefly, right? But your rooms are right next door. My wife, she never thinks about it. She, I mean, she only thinks about the people. And she says that your your house, your rooms are next door, so it's fine to to endless uh, end and late. After I met the Lord, the Lord trained me for 13 years, and I, I felt like I, I was to, I was about to die. 
It felt like I was running a marathon of a hundred kilometers. And you, sometimes I would fall down, lie flat on the floor and pant. But rather than coming and comforting me, my wife would pray next to me saying, Lord, break him down even more. Imagine how shocking it was for me that I still remember that. And when I heard that prayer, within me, I, I, I got motivated to finish this race. She is very different on the outside and the inside. She's very um, heartless at times. Some people say I am heartless, but I'm nothing compared to her. Usually I'm very positive. I say okay to most things. So outside of the Lord, you have to fear my wife. And of course, all the passengers, you probably fear your wife the most. <laughs> I wish we would just end while laughing. Suddenly, I don't want to preach anymore. Anyways, let's move on. When Israel was a child, I loved him. He's talking about when they were out, when they came out of Egypt. They were they were living as uh, captives and slaves in Egypt. So grace, grace is not our reaction but it is the goodness of God. In the Bible, we, we, we use the word calling. And the word calling is present in the Old Testament and also the New Testament. It, it says God called Abraham. And God did not call Abraham because he was a great man who had a lot of talents. Rather, Adam was an idol worshiper. His father was a maker of idols. He had nothing, but yet God called him to be the father of men, of, of the father of his people. And because of that calling that he has given to Abraham, his, his descendants Israel is a, becomes the child of God. So like I said again, calling is also uh, decided, is given to us by God. But it is your free will to receive that calling or not. Because it, uh, Abraham accepted that calling, he has received this calling from God. In our lives, let's expand this a little bit. In every moment, we are, we are at in a point where we need to decide to, to receive or not. You have to realize that God has, has made up your, uh, has planned out your every scenario in your life already. So it is not made by your, you. In Psalms, it is also written that God teaches His calling to those who has received uh, the wisdom of God. 
and, and Christ is living in you. So read the, the book of Joseph that we have handed out to you. The way you look at life will, uh, will, be, will become different. And right now, God is leading your life according to the scenario that He has created. And so I do not walk, I do not live uh, with my own plans. For example, never once did I declare to the Lord saying, I want to become a pastor. And never once did I dream that I would be ministering other pastors. Never once did I imagine that I would, I would be spreading the gospel across the world. I wanted to travel the world. I didn't want to become a, uh, go into mission, the mission field. But in every moment, I utilize my free will to receive the Lord's calling. And I have been walking in that way. God led me according to your scenario from then on. So in all areas of, all areas of your life, it is your decision to, to, to receive this calling or not. People who have spiritual hurts and wounds cannot receive this calling. People who have, a, have spiritual bindings cannot receive uh, this calling. Look at Joseph. When he was framed by the Potiphar's wife, if he had a spiritual hurt within, within him, then he would not... He would not have acknowledged that that uh, that sin, but because Joseph received the calling of the Lord, because and he was able to do that because he had no spiritual hurts and wounds, and because of that, because of his uh, purity, the Lord was able to build up his life. He gave him wisdom, gave him authority, gave him prophecies, and that's how God is leading me. For 34 years, as I was walk, as I'm walking with the Lord, when I when I accept the things of the Lord, He adds upon, uh, uh, He adds to my life, wisdom, power, faith. That's how I've been walking with the Lord for 34 years. But is it just for me? This is the pattern that God has given to all of His children. Let's look at the overall picture then. This is his predestination. This is a, a, a theological concept. Predestination is not written in, in the Old Testament, but it appears in the New Testament because it is given to us after the, the sacrifice of Jesus. It is his decision. Even though they're different words, calling and predestination are actually they are, are defined as the same. Calvinism... It is different to the calling and, uh, and, and predestination that, that uh, the Calvinists proclaim. But it is God's decision, His predestination to make His children holy and blameless. So if you continue to receive the calling that comes from God, and then at the end of your life, you will become holy and blameless. That is his decision. That is the final destination that all the children of God have to arrive at. So it is better for you to meet the Lord and to serve the Lord in glory in the earlier stages of your life. 
in Romans, it describes this as glorification. So calling is the, is the, is the, uh, the, the grace of the Lord. When you regard this as the grace of God, what happens in your lives? You no longer live according to your own thoughts and your own ways. You receive all the things that come from God. To be exact, the Lord helps you to get rid of all the things that are built within you. When the Spirit of the Lord has come into you, He has already fulfilled everything. And as you repent and, 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 and unwind the spiritual bindings within you, the Lord is going to help you take out all the sins built up within you. And once you do so, your spirit will continue to grow in all areas, that is. That is predestination. And that's why your spirituality, your faith life has to be filled with inspiration and joy. And you have to be amazed by how renewed you are. Sometimes if you, if you do something, you fall into despair. But after some time, you realize you don't despair with the same situation anymore. Before, when, when this happens, you would become angry. But at one point, you will find yourself not getting angry anymore. You will find yourself being renewed in this way. In the, in the perspective of salvation, you have to receive uh, the, the life of the righteous through faith. And you're, you live according to that righteousness. And you're able to yield fruit from that confirmation of righteousness. But when you do not experience any changes anymore, then you have to doubt, you need to uh, examine your faith, examine your, your, your spirituality. Because faith, righteousness, faith, and, and love all come together. And it has, to, it has to be present in the life of, life of those who are righteous. But if that is not present within your lives right now, then you need to... To, to, to check your spirituality, to check your salvation. But people who have a confirmation of their salvation, they will not doubt anything that comes from God. They will not doubt the fact that they can receive from God. And they will continue to see the glory of God. And through the calling of Abraham, God bestows His love upon Israel. And the word for love is Ahav. Ahav talks about the, the fiery love of God. But the love of the Lord comes to us through Hesed. Because He has called us and He has decided to love us, we are able to receive that love. According to the New Testament, If you cannot receive the love that is given to you through the cross of Jesus, then you won't understand the love of God. And through the perspective of Revelation, you have to, in, order, in order to receive the, the, the love of the Lord in this world, you need, to, you need to be able to receive the love that comes from the revelation of Jesus Christ. A person that did not receive this amazing love from Jesus, When I came to Malaysia, you look at the skies, and the skies look amazing. But this person would not be able to give thanks to the Lord for, for, for showing the sky to, to him. Uh, 
So the love of God, Ahav, has to be received through the revelation of Jesus Christ. If you do not have the revelation of Jesus, then you will not be able to understand the love of God. Now we are talking about Ahav, the verse is talking about Ahav. But that Ahav is received through the covenant love, which is Hesed. I'm not talking about a theory here. People were able to receive their salvation correctly, would receive this, this, this function correct, uh, properly. And if not, then you have to find a reason why you did not receive it properly. First of all, is that a problem with your salvation? Then you cast everything aside and check your salvation and receive salvation from God. Secondly, is your spirit bound? You, you say, I think I'm saved, but I can't sense the love of God anymore. Then like 2 Timothy, it says, your, your channels have been bound. Thirdly, it may be a spiritual bind, uh, it may be a spiritual hurt. Is it because of a hurt that you have regarding your, your, your biological father that you're unable to receive the, the love of your heavenly father? To these, to these people, I strongly advise you to call your, uh, our Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Mother, because you might be able to receive the love of the Mother. So I don't know why I'm talking about these things, we're, we're kind of going off track. But anyways, this amazing love of the Lord comes through His covenant. It comes through the, the revelation of the cross of Jesus. So let's move on. You need to listen carefully. Do not think it's not that big of a deal to receive His love or not. You need to be able to receive His love. Through the perspective of the doctrine of the Lord, why is it so important to receive the love of God? Why is it beneficial for you to know that God is the Creator God, that He is all-powerful and He's uh, omnipresent? It is, it is beneficial, it is good for you because He is your Father. When you have met the Lord as your Father, then you realize, he, that he, you realize how powerful He is, that He is in control of the whole universe, the God of power. He is immensely rich. But let's say He is your neighbor. Then that rich, then you have nothing to do with that, that, that richness. But if you're unable to believe that God is your father, then God is nothing more but, but, but a neighbor. At most, he's your uncle or your aunt. And that's why you have to confess your Lord saying, Uncle Father, uh, uncle, uncle God. We call upon the Lord as Abba Father because according to the doctrine of God, we meet the Lord through as the Father first. We have to meet the Yahweh God first before we meet the Elohim God. When there's an issue with the doctrine of God, your prayer life, uh, your Christology also is influenced because you need to resolve the issue of your sin. But if you have not met the Father, you cannot meet the Son. And if, you're not, if you have not met the Son, you will not be able to receive uh, the, the power of His blood and be cleansed. So if you have not met the Son, you have not met Christ. His, the love of God, the Lord would, re, would, 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 would diminish into the love of man. Paul confesses that the love of Jesus is the love of Christ. 
and that love contains all the power and authority to take, to take care of us. So in Romans chapter 8 it says, Who can cut me away, remove me from the love of the Lord? Nothing on this world can do that. Because that love is going to be fully responsible for me. It takes care of me. God did not create a reason for me to be separated from His love. You have no money. Then He will give you money in order for you to maintain that love. He will give you power and authority. He will give you everything that, that you need in order to remain in His love. And that's why we can be confident. And that's what Paul was able to say, all of Rome, come to me. All these demons come at me, come at me all at once because I have no time because he was confident in the love of God, in the love of Christ. So Christology and the doctrine of the Lord are all connected together in this one life and in one love. So if you cannot sense the love of God, then you need to set everything aside and get that relationship right. You have to see what is the reason. Right now, if you call Father, then, then, then your heart needs to tingle because the love of the Lord comes into you when you call upon Him. Now, when your child calls your father, your heart tingles. You look at the family of Limin, when they were receiving impartation. As they were receiving impartation, the father was more focused on the child. He was focused on the well-being of the child. This is how much he loves him. I saw him. This is how great the love of, of, of man can be. But imagine the love, of the, hev- uh, the love of our Heavenly Father. So God called him when they were a child and in Egypt. Through the calling of Abraham, God has decided to love Israel. And he said, And out of Egypt I called my son. Finally, he helps them to escape Egypt. And according to the New Testament, He has given them salvation. And they have been made into the firstborn. The inspiration of salvation is not a beggar having another meal, but rather a beggar becoming a prince. God's goal to, to, for, for Him to save you is to make you His kings, to make you His heirs. If you believe in this, then you'll be filled with inspiration. Imagine it. Imagine you were a beggar, but suddenly one day you became a prince. And of course that prince will have some tendencies remaining within him of, of a beggar. But that is a matter of time. It is a matter of time before he fully embodies what it means to be a prince. And every day he will be amazed at the fact that he has become a prince from a, from a beggar. And so your inspiration of salvation would, would, should never stop. This is a, a, an enormous event that has happened in us. So God has saved uh, his slaves from Egypt and called him to be his son. from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The goal for God calling Israel as His Son is for them to become His royal beings. 
This is written in Genesis chapter 28. That the goal for Adam's creation was for him to be the high priest and for him to be uh, the king. And this is the goal to, to uh, our, our, our being, the reason why God has created us. So do not misinterpret the Bible. And right now I use the analogy of a beggar becoming a prince and to explain how enormous this salvation is. But to be exact, people were made to be kings. We were made to be priests. We were not made to be beggars. There, were, there was no other goal for the Lord in making us, but to make us kings and make us high priests. And power. Power is something that is given to you when you maintain this relationship with God. But authority is different. Authority is not strengthened if you spend a lot of time with God. Authority is given to you at once. When you accept your being, a person can receive a lot of power when they pray for the Lord, pray before the Lord for many years. But let's say he doesn't know who he is, then he won't be able to utilize that power. So what is the issue if you do not have authority? It means you have to fight with your own strength. So what authority has been given to you? Is it the authority of a private? Then you will only be able to fight as a private. But let's say you are a four-star general, then you have the authority to command uh, a division. And if you are a president, you have the power, the authority to, to control, to command a nation. So the authority is different. Authority comes from a belief of your, of your being. Because you believe you are a private, you're living the life of, of a private. You're constantly, you're constantly on the ground, on the battlefield, just shooting your, your, your rifles. And you will be killed once the enemy starts to shoot from their artillery. Some of you are like that. But if you believe you are a royal subject of God, then you will have that authority that comes with that, with that calling. In most cases, the way I see it, when I deliver people, some people that are delivered are, have a are really diligent in their prayers. They have been praying for 10, for 20 years. So they have power. So they're good at fighting against other privates. But that's not enough. Because the privates are controlled by the Antichrist, who is the commander. So when you touch the privates, you also touch and offend uh, the Antichrist. They're all connected. So after a couple of years, they would their spirits would start to die. Because because they get attacked by, by the Antichrist, because they do not know of their being. So what does it mean that you believe you are a royal being of the Lord? It means you believe that you are a church, that the king is, that God has become the head of the church and we have become his church. And when you're able to utilize the power and authority that's given to you, the church of the Lord, the enemies will, the enemies will cower before you. Because once you have received this authority, you can command the angels of God. So in this perspective, it is very tremendous and very important for you to receive your callings and to accept it. 
I'm not telling you to pray a lot, but you need to pray with this power and authority. Let's, let's continue. Verse 2. We have to talk about this calling. So let's talk about this calling in verse 2. So God has called Israel to be his royal beings out of Egypt. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. If they are called by the Lord, they should come, they should come towards the Lord, but they're, yet they're going further away. So the, the word called here is kara, and kara is a very important term. Usually this is not used for, for used when a person calls another person. But usually it's used when a king calls upon somebody. So it is the calling of a king. And God is the king of all kings. And he has called us. For example, in the world, in Korea, let's say a slave or a servant did something great for, for the nation of Korea. Then the king would call that servant before him. And at the very least, that servant will, 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 will be promoted to a high-level servant when, when he comes before the king. Because a low-ranking servant cannot come before the presence of the king. So when you're meeting the king, you have to be bestowed as a certain level of dignity and nobility. And the fact that you have been called by a king, he does not call you because he's bored. If he calls you, then there's a reason behind that calling. There's a goal, there's a motive. He will say, you, you have become an official, become, become a bodyguard. There's some sort of reason and goal behind a calling. That's the meaning of kara. And God has called Israel here. It means God has bestowed his nobility upon Israel and he has poured his, uh, his will and his plans upon Israel. But this foolish Israel does not know of this, and so they turn away from the Lord. So what are the saints of the New Testament? We, are, we, are, we have received this calling of Jesus Christ through the, through the precious blood. And so that evidence of the precious blood is within me. In Hebrews 11, 12 it says, that we are able to come before the throne of grace whenever we wish, whenever we wish, whenever. Because the power of the blood of Jesus is working within me and it, it gives me that right. The righteous has been given the right to meet the Lord. When you meet the Lord, He, God is going to give you His plans, His, His will, His intentions. So a person that is meeting the Lord constantly with this calling and a person that is not encountering the Lord in this way, after some time, their difference will be heaven and earth. And after I've met the Lord 34 years ago, every day I've gone before His throne to pray. And for 34 years, He has, made, he has allowed me to know a, um, a lot of His mysteries and secrets. 
He has ordered me what to do in this ministry. And so his calling is not done out of boredom. The more you meet him, the more you go before him, you will grow into a tremendous being. And that is very natural. Let's say you are to meet the, 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 the king of Malaysia every day for a year. Then you will not be uh, just another subject. Because you have met royalty every day, then what would happen? Do you have to convert to, 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 to Islam? That's what happens when, uh, when, when, uh, when a political king meets with you. But how much more are you? How much will come of you when you meet this heavenly, heavenly king? The reason why your lives seem to be going nowhere. There may be many reasons for that. For for that, but the core of it is. You're not meeting the Creator. It's that you're not meeting the Creator, that there's no change and there's no growth in your lives. People who are familiar with me will know that I didn't do anything. I, I had an IQ of 89, I had no money. I had nothing going for me. But after meeting the Lord every day, this is how much the Lord has used me. And occasionally I would speak with my wife about this. Who would have imagined we would, we would be in this place? And this, is, and this is all very amazing and very wonderful. But also it's very natural in a sense. Because we have encountered the King of Kings every day. And so there's no reason for you to not change, not become better. So if God calls you, you have to go to Him. But this foolish Israel turns against Him. And what does it mean they went away from him? It means you they have become closer with something else. This is another issue. If you are faithless, it doesn't mean there's an absence of faith, but rather you're believing in something else. That is a spiritual order. You can, a lot of people think they just, ha, they just have a lack of faith. But when you have a lack of faith, you're believing in something else. That may be money or themselves. So according to the spiritual order, this is very clear. If you're the new self, then you're clearly not the old self. If you're the old self, then you're clearly not the new self. There's no middle ground. And this is very important. Because they're far away from the Lord, they're, they're near something else. Who are they closer to? They're closer to Baal. They're closer to Babylon. And so they sacrifice to Baal. This is the spiritual order. spiritual order means it's going to become like this. It will become that. So if you knock on the doors of the spiritual realm and start to see it, for a while, it's going to be... You will be obsessive for the Lord. I have to look at the Lord. I cannot stay away from the Lord. You cannot allow yourself to, 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 to fall away from the Lord. Because once your eyes are open to the things of the Spirit, you realize, you can see and you realize that if you turn away from the Lord, you turn to something else. 
if you're not facing the lure, you're facing some other direction. <clears throat> so for a while, the Holy Spirit will train you to, to, to constantly face yourself, uh, face yourself towards the Lord. And when we talk, let's... In the perspective of, of this internal spiritual warfare, the old self and the new self are constantly fighting. And for a while, that conflict is going to bring a lot of pain to you. And this is all talking about the same thing. The, like how there's a severe spiritual warfare happening within you. For a while, the Holy Spirit is going to actively make you try to be obsessive over the Lord. Because, as it is written here, if you're not going towards the Lord, you're going towards something else. If you do not believe in God, then you're believing in something else. This is a clear principle and a clear order. And like I said before, believing in the Lord is the easiest thing. But why is it difficult? It's because of your tendencies and the, and the habits of the flesh that you have built up. And so you need time to get rid of this energy, get rid of these tendencies. It doesn't mean you have to... to, to uh, if you have lived in the world for 30 years, it doesn't mean you have to train for 30 years. But for a period of time, God is going to allow you to, to be trained, to, to get rid of that energy, get rid of that, those tendencies of the flesh. I met the Lord when I was 29. And it took me 13 years for, for God to fully train me, to prepare me for this ministry. The reason why it took 13 years for me is because the, the tendency that I, I have built up in my flesh was so great. A lot of things were taken care of on the day of my salvation. But still a lot of these tendencies were left in my, in my, in my flesh. And embarrassingly, after I met Jesus, and before I met Jesus, I was an athlete. And when I was in the U.S., I was a racquetball champion. And after uh, training racquetball for four, for four years, uh, for four hours, <laughs> then my whole body would be uh, drenched with sweat. Then I would crave a, a cold glass of beer. Then I would one-shot this jug of beer. And once I put down that cup, the, the, the foam of the beer would start to seep out of my nostrils. And uh, I would get tipsy. And that is an amazing sensation. But after I met the Lord, occasionally, I would be reminded of, of the inspiration of that beer. It's not the case right now, but back then I still reminisced about uh, that glass of beer. And it, it's really difficult to, to, to live with those tendencies and properties. When I built this church, it was on the fourth floor of a building, but the third floor had a karaoke. And even then I was praying every day at 2 a.m., And of course, the karaoke was very busy at that hour. And so it was very, it was very noisy. And you, I could hear those, those, the, the secular music uh, 
in my ears. But when I heard that music, I started to hear the music that I enjoyed singing before. And at some point, I would, I would, be, I would, I would be following that beat. For a while, those tendencies stay with you. And living with the Lord should be easy. But the flesh, the, uh, the, the, the spirit becomes, an, uh, the, the flesh becomes your obstacle. And so that, that's why the Holy Spirit for a while will help you get rid of these tendencies and this energy. And it's not done through your own strength, but rather it is done through the Holy Spirit that is within you. The Holy Spirit is going to help you cast away these things. So the Israel is going, going to their idols. And if God calls you, you have to go towards the Lord. Do not go away from Him. Let's go to verse 3. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk. Verse 1 to 2 talk about uh, the time that Israel came out of, ex- came out of Egypt and went into the uh, and went into the promised land. And verse 3 talks about how God has nurtured Israel. So even though Israel betrayed the Lord, for a while the Lord continued to nurture and care for Israel. The original text was for Ephraim was, it's not Ephraim here, it's actually Ephraim, which means to heal. So it, verse 3 means God healed Israel. He taught them to walk. He held them up with his arms. So he protected them with his power. And he healed them of their, of their slave mindset and, the, and their slave tendencies. But the problem is they did not realize his love. They couldn't accept his love. Because they, don't, they cannot understand the love of the Lord, they, they were not grateful for the Lord's love. God continues to teach us and nurture us and is patient with us until we get to know His love. This morning I said that God does not neglect us when we are in the state of brokenness. The important thing is, is not what you should do, what, should, what you should put your effort in in your spirituality. It's dependent, dependent on how much you're able to receive the will of God. You have to realize that God is love, that He's the one who heals me. He's the one that perfects me. And so the will of the Lord is the most important thing. It's not your actions and your effort is not what is important. And I believe that Zoe ministry is not like this. But when you listen to the sermons that outside of, of Zoe ministry, there lies the issue. Their sermons are very legal, legal, legalistic, and so your spirit becomes tricked. Your spirit becomes deceived into thinking you need to try very hard, you need to put effort, you need to strive towards something. God never forcefully tells you to 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 serve Him. 
he, he just said, he says, receive my, <clears throat> my life. But if your spirit continues to receive this legalism, then your, your faith life becomes very difficult. It becomes very stiff. Because you have to receive uh, from the Lord in the beginning. You shouldn't... If you're, if you're putting in effort, if you're putting in strength, then that is not Christianity. That is some other religion. Like I said before, this, these are the teachings of the heretics of the Church of Galatia. The Church cannot let this, these, let this false gospel, uh, uh, let this false gospel affect them. We shouldn't pray hard because we have to, because it is our obligation. The reason why we pray hard is because God is pleased with us when we pray to Him. And the reason why your prayer is difficult is because you're not praying according to the inspirations, according to the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And that's why you become more bound and you become even more hardened. And you'll be faced with your limitations once you start to follow, try to fulfill the law through your own strength. In the beginning, there's a time of training. And during that time of training, at times, even though you don't want to do it, God will make you do some things. At first, God made me think that if I did not wake, if I did not wake up every morning to pray, I would go to hell. So even if I did not want to pray that morning, I would force myself to wake up and go to church to pray. I, I thought if I did not digest the things of the Lord, digest this uh, message every morning, I would be put to death. So for a time, I would pray for 12 hours a day. <clears throat> because for a time, God needed to train me so that I would be fully obedient before Him. But after that time, God does not force you to do anything. And when you're able to when you're able to confirm of your righteousness, the Holy Spirit is going to lead your prayer, and you're able to, you will be able to meet the Lord. But if you're unable to sense the Holy Spirit, then there's an issue. But even if there's an issue, you shouldn't try very hard to change that for yourself. You have to ask the Lord, what is the problem? Do I have to engage in spiritual warfare? Then engage in spiritual warfare. Do I need to cast away your spirit? Then cast away that spirit. If you need to fast, then you need to fast. You need to let the Holy Spirit lead you. That is the principle of grace. God gives us, gives us everything that we need. That's why it is called grace. That's why we are not the ones who are doing it. That's why I confess that I don't do anything because I cannot do anything. How can I go before the Lord in my, my prayers? It is Him who gives me everything that I need. If everything was resolved already, then I would not pray. I would just stay still. Because I cannot pray for myself if the Holy Spirit does not inspire me to do so. This is the principle of grace. So if you think your thoughts, your, your standards, your ways are important, then that is very dangerous. If your body becomes acidic, then you would uh, receive, a, you would get a lot of diseases. 
So when you live a religious life, your, 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 your body becomes very acidic and you'll be met with a lot of diseases. You have to live within the grace of the Lord and stay healthy, spiritually speaking. Do not try to, to utilize your own will because the more you do so, the more you're going to become acidic. Listen carefully here. Many, many of you have, have listened to these legalistic sermons and have been affected by legalism. Then you need to spend a lot of time exposing yourself to the grace of God. If not, then you will be, you will be separated from God. You won't be able to believe. Some of you, it is very difficult to listen to the sermon. It's because you have been exposed to too much legalism. Some of you are having difficulty receiving this message. What does it mean that that pastor doesn't do anything? What does it mean that the will of the Lord is important? This, this message is so irritate, irrit- so frustrating. But some of you are able to receive this message very well. And they realize that it is very easy to live in grace. They understand what it means to not do anything. Right? A lot of people here are, are very, uh, have fallen into legalism. And we have to fix that. You have to fix that, that char- characteristic. Your spiritual characteristic needs to change. Amen? If you live in this legalistic way and your spirit and your body becomes acidic, the first event that happens to you is the ears that listen to the message of the Lord gets shut. And that is deception. Your ears are shut to the word of God. When I look at our ch- the church members of our, in my church, there are many people who have, uh, who have their ears shut to the word of the Lord. They cannot hear and they cannot understand. When I say A, they do not hear A. It's because they have put so much effort and, and, and their own strength in chasing after the Lord. The, Lord. the word of the Lord is given to us by grace. And the pastor, your pastor is preaching out of this grace as well. But you cannot hear it anymore. Because your code, your codec does not match. And even, even furthermore, you start to listen to the voices that you want to receive and, and reject the other ones. You cut off the beginning and the end and you only want to receive the middle. And you say that you receive grace from that message. That is frustrating. And there, are, there are some people in our church that are like this. So even after 10 years, they do not experience growth. They're the same every day. And they cannot even resolve a single spiritual issue within themselves. Every day they're still fighting against uh, the, 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 the demons of their families. Every day they're fighting against the, the, these minor spirits. God is in charge of the whole universe. But yet you're still fighting for your family only then then the Lord is then God, then God is not God but just another idol 
So do not live under the law. Do not live with your own intentions. Do not live by your own will. Do not live a self-centered life. We should not be self-centered. We have to be God-centered. Living God-centered means you're living in His grace. Let's continue. Verse 4. I let them with the cords of human kindness, with ties of love. So, this cord of love is ahav. What does it mean? When God came upon Mount Sinai, the Israelites were filled with fear. They were so afraid, they sent Moses saying, Moses, speak to God, do not, do not let God speak to us. Because sinners cannot, be, cannot meet the glory of God. So that's why God raised up His leader, Moses. And Moses become that court of love, that court of Ahab for Israel. This is a great compassion of the Lord. Before we talked about Christology, the perspective of Christology, the reason why you need to meet Jesus, Son of Man, first is because when He came upon this earth, He did not, he did not say, I am God, I am the Son of God. If He did so, then everybody who met Jesus would have died. But He didn't come in that way. Even though He had the identity of the Son of God, but He kept that identity hidden. And he said, I am the son of man. I am a person. I am human. I am a man. And that's why he calls himself the son of man. This is the messianic secret. He kept his identity as the Messiah secret. And he became the cord of love, the cord of Ahab for us. In our perspective, that is grace. But in God's perspective, that was pain. Because he had to withheld all his divine power. He had to live just as we uh, live just like us. He had to live with the flesh. And he had to keep himself away from sinning for, for all of his life. He couldn't uh, commit a single sin. And he could not use his divine power as well. So in Philippians chapter 2, it says he had to completely empty himself and he did not make himself equal to God and he came in the image of man and he lived fully relying on the Holy Spirit. And that's why he is our spiritual model. And if we live with the Holy Spirit, we can live like Jesus. In order for us to receive the, the agape love of God, he made his son into a man And yet you endure through an immense amount of pain and suffering. Look at how much the Lord was mocked and ridiculed by the demons on this earth. The demons came to him and said, If you bow down before me, I will make, I will make this bread. In, uh, if you are the Son of God, would you transform this, bread, uh, this rock into bread? If I was Jesus, I would say, oh, screw, screw humanity, I'm going to destroy you. I would have been pissed off. 
But my, our God was patient and He endured through this ridicule and He kept His identity secret. And after His resurrection, He came before the, the seashore and said, Come before me. And He said, Look at what happens if you, if you mock me. And he, he made the rocks into bread. And He called the disciples that, was, that were on the boat and He fed them fish. That's the first thing he did after he was resurrected. <laughs> Imagine how, how angry he was. That, he, that was the first thing he had to do when he, when he was resurrected. Imagine how, how hard of a time he had living as a human. But why did, he have, why did he endure through all that? It's because of his love. So this cord of love is the Lord's compassion for us. In the perspective of God, it was His sacrifice to set up a human to become a channel of love for Him. <clears throat> so soteriology, ecclesiology, Christology, all, through all this, what we know is this was all the mercy of the Lord. It was His compassion for us. It is the price that He had to pay in order to, 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 to love us. And because the, the people that he loved has been corrupted, he needs to sacrifice himself to save them. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he had to endure through in order to sacrifice himself for you. So, do you, do you need to be concerned? Do you need to worry? No. God is fully responsible for you. He's going to take care of you. No matter what you choose in the, in the future, he's going to take responsibility of you. All we have to do is uh, repent. So no matter what, what mistakes you may make, He's going to embrace you if, you if you repent. And as soon as you are embraced by God, He gives you that power and authority to keep yourself away from sin again. That's, the, the, uh, that's one of the great things of living with our God. So he used human love, uh, human kindness uh, to, 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 to represent his own love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek and I bent down to feed them. So this is talking about the, the burden of the flesh. So God created the event of salvation when he came upon this earth. He, he resolved everything on the cross. In Romans 8 verse 12, it says he has resolved all the, all the debt of sin, all the debts, uh, debt of the flesh for us. So we don't have to be burdened by the debt of the flesh anymore. Let's say, let's say you ask a father, why do you work? The father would say, to, in order to to support my family, then that is a huge mistake. We don't earn money because we are burdened to our flesh. We earn money for the glory of God. I am a pastor. You, you may ask, why do you preach? I have to preach in order to get paid. No, that's not the case. I pray for the glory of God. I, I preach for the glory of God. All the things that we do, we do for the glory of God. We should not be burdened by anything of the flesh. 
if you can't believe this and you're constantly burdening yourself with the things of the flesh you become heavier you become oppressed and you would be crumpled under the sheer weight of it so do not be burdened God did not make Jesus go through the cross for you to continue to bear your burdens he says you are done with uh, your burden has been lifted from you you have to believe in this your spirit has to become very light it needs to dance and rejoice with the Lord the father you, you do not need to be burdened by your family strictly speaking that is unbelief because God is responsible for you so why do you have to be responsible for your family pastors you should not be responsible you should not be burdened by your ministry that is a great hypocrisy and a great arrogance that you're doing so why is the church your church why are you burdened by it it doesn't make sense because you have so many burdens that's why you cannot pray do not be burdened by your church you have to break this this cycle of evil let's say that the pastor is responsible for the finance for the finance of the church then that pastor will be pressed down will crumple by by that burden of money you have to fully believe that God is responsible for you that he's going to take care of you and take care of your church and do not work unless God gives you what, what is necessary for you to work let's say my son did something wrong then I'm responsible for his mistakes I will give him money if it's needed but how much more will our Heavenly Father do that for us he, he's going to be responsible he takes full responsibility for never, never once in the past 34 years did God neglect me isn't this amazing you need to be light if your spirit is not light then there's an issue you need to be light and swifty swift, and swiftly be blown uh, away are you able to let go of your burdens are your burdens lifted from you the burdens of the mother the burdens of the father the burdens of the pastor you have to let all of this go so once again pat each other on the shoulder and tell them to let go of their burdens if you pastor with your own strength you are going to die there was a pastor that I knew was walking on the street he saw a huge tree but the tree seemed empty within and so the pastor said did you also are you also a pastor because he feels empty inside should I share, should I share another joke there was a missionary in India He was building the church, but he ran out of money and better, and so he had to stop that construction. And he had a terrible time in the mission field. And so he went into the market while being down. And a lot of people were gathered there. And he was watching the people. There was a cow sitting there. And a person said, If you have to raise this cow up, I will give you money. It's a gamble. 
you should pay a certain amount of money, and if you're able to raise up the cow, then receive more money. But people wait, people uh, stood in line to do this when none of them were able to raise up the cow. But the mission and the missionary went to the paid the ticket and went to the cow and said, "Do you want to also? Do you want to become a pastor?" And the cow immediately stood up. So pastors who, who are burdened by the ministry will understand and laugh at this joke. It's amazing, isn't it? This is the power. It is it's so powerful that I can raise up a cow. God has taken away their, their, their shackles. And he has brought them to the green pastures to feed them. You have to believe that God has done everything for you, that He is, and that He is leading you. The problems in your life do not come from what you should and shouldn't do. It's whether or not you're able to believe. When you wake up in the morning, there are a couple of songs that I sing usually. There are days when I'm I'm heavily inspired and in awe of all the things that God has given me and done for me. Then I will sing the song, Yahweh, my shepherd. He brings me to the green pressures. He lets me rest. I am able to offer this song with all of my heart to the Lord in that morning. Because God really leads me to the green pastures. And even though I walk through, the, through fire, I am not afraid because God is with me. So why do we need to be burdened? There's no reason for us to be, especially pastors. Do not take upon the burden of your ministry. In some way, you're being arrogant trying to take that responsibility away from God. And you're, you're saying you're better than God. But you have to let God be the king of your church. When a pastor takes upon the burden of the church on, unto himself, his relationship with the Lord is going to diminish. And that, diminished, that, that bad relationship is going to be directly uh, given to your church members. If you are burdened, you, cannot, you can no longer pray. That's why God never leads pastors to, to, to take upon these burdens. If you're burdened, it means there's a knot in your spirit. It means you have been living in these uh, legalistic tendencies and you have made many twists and turns within your spirit that, that, that gets knotted. So like verse 4, you need to continue to let the Lord take you out of that situation. Let Him free you. If not, you're going to be continu you're gonna continue to be burdened. People like me, I'm able to give it up easily. But once you get hooked by it, you will continue to, to fall, walk on this path of, of, of complications. And it is a cycle of ego and a cycle of wickedness that you're running in. Not being burdened is, is also a very important element of our spirituality.
there's this analogy. A person is walking with the Lord, and he would look back upon the path that he has walked. He was walking on the sand. When he was living through prosperity, he would see four footprints. That means Jesus, God was with him. You could see his own footsteps and the footsteps of Jesus. But at some point, he was going through the most difficult time in his life. There's only one set of first, uh, footprints. It was his. Own, he felt like he felt. He thought it was his own foot, footprint, and he complained to the Lord, saying, "Why did you leave me when I was in my lowest?" And the Lord said, "I was actually carrying you on my back." God never neglects us when we are burdened. Rather, in the in the midst of hardships, He comes to us even more. He comforts us even more, and He and He encourages us. <clears throat> That's why we call Him the God of Love. Amen. He knows us very well. Now let's look at some words of judgment. Verse five. God has been calling out to Israel to return. But they they go further away from him. Verse five: Will they not return to Egypt and will not? This is um. Uh, this is uh, what is it? Irony, irony. He's using irony. God is using irony because they're not willing to return to Him. They have to return to Egypt. And because they don't don't want to be under the the rule of God, they will be put under the rule of Assyria. Israel should be under the reign of God, but now they're going to receive the reign of other nations. So the 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 pride. The confidence of a royal being such as we, we should feel embarrassed and shamed when we are when we get attacked and are oppressed by our enemies. During the reign of David, David, uh, God was not pleased when David uh, created the census. He did a census of the population of Israel, and so God gave him a choice: Do you want to be exiled from 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 battle? There were three things that God, three choices God offered to 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 David. Two of them he had to receive this judgment from other people, and one the the, the rest was he was to be sick, very extremely sick for three days. And David chose the third one to be sick because he did not want to be under the control of other people. Then at that point, God gave His approval to David, and he was supposed to be sick for for three days. And the sickness is supposed to uh, spread within Israel for three days, but it only spread for one day because David was acknowledged by God. And David was a great man because he fully rejected the the the, 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 the possibility of becoming subject to other other people. In the midst of severe difficulties, he did not pray, saying, "Lord, would you resolve this issue for me quickly?" 
But he said, do not regard us the same as those who are as the sinful. Do not treat the righteous the same as you treat uh, the, the unrighteous. He did not pray to, to escape his pain, but he prayed, Lord, do not treat me like you treat the unrighteous. <coughs> this is the identity of the child of God. You need to have the, this kind of spir- spiritual, uh, uh, um, spiritual attitude. Do not bow down to other people. Do not bow down to other authorities. So a huge error has come into the identity of Israel. The church has to be under the reign of God alone. Verse 6, a sword will flash in their cities. Now a war has broken out. It will devour their false prophets. And, and put, put an end to their plans. The plans are made up by the, the leaders and the, uh, the authorities of Israel. So they went to Egypt through their own thoughts. And this time Assyria will seem stronger and so they would decide to go to Assyria to, and ask for help. They cannot achieve anything through their own thoughts. That is the limitation of man. Because the thoughts of man will lead to destruction. Some of you, the the act of living by your thoughts has already been embodied within you and you have to repent deeply because your decisions decisions have nothing to do with God. What is unbelief? Let's say there's there's a thousand right directions. There's one wrong direction. But unbelief will make you choose that one wrong direction. It's quite amazing, isn't it? But what is faith? Even though there's a thousand wrong ways and there's only one right, right way, the faith, faith will allow you to choose that, what, that, that right way. So when you live by your own thoughts, you're living in unbelief. Only when you live in faith will you be able to li- uh, li- live in righteousness. There's no possibility that your life will not become bound when you live by your own thoughts. There is a limitation to what you can do for yourself. Verse 7. My people are determined to turn from me. They have cried out to the Lord. Uh, God continued to cry uh, cry out to His people, but they did not return to Him. And like I said before, it does not end with Him not going towards the Lord, but they turn to something else. Even though they call me God Most High, <laughs> in Hebrew, God Most High is written in Baal. And to cry out means they have called upon the, upon the Lord. So they went further away from the Lord and they didn't stop there they went closer to Baal in the end they're crying out to Baal 
and this I call this the principle of, of the truth. If this happens, then that's going to happen. For example, if you if you're not going to God, then you're going to something else. If you do not believe in God, then you're believing in something else. This is a spiritual order, and you must not forget this order because it is a very important truth system. And I have made. I've talked about many of these principles in, in, in my church. When you don't turn to the Lord, you turn to something else. If you do not believe in God, you believe in something else. This is a spiritual order. It will happen to everybody. In, in the spiritual world, there is no middle ground. You cannot, be, you cannot be not this, not that. If you choose darkness, then you are not a part of the light. If you choose this, then you lose that. Even though it's, it may seem e simple, it is a very important, important thing. And many people forget about this. And what is the core of that situation? They do not realize this becomes their sin. They say, I'm simply not believing in God. I'm not sinning necessarily. Not believing itself is sin. But the Bible says, says so. So do not let go of this truth. Because they have left the Lord, they cry out to Baal. And what is the issue? Even though they cry out to Baal, no, nobody would come and save them. Nobody can be saved by Baal. So they will not be exalted. The world cannot save us. Sometimes the Chinese translation is not complete because, because they leave out certain characters. But anyways, that's what the original text, the meaning of the original text is, that nobody would be exalted when they turn to these idols. And that's why in Zoe ministry, we, 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 our revelation comes from the original text. Because in the, even in the Korean translation, there are some, there's some uh, uh, things that are incorrect. Especially the Chinese translation have a lot of uh, have a lot of mistakes. For example, the heavenly assembly in the book of Hebrews is not written at all in the Chinese translation, and that is a huge thing to left out left to de to leave out. Is it in the Malaysian Bible? Hebrews twelve twenty two. Hebrews 12, 22, the heavenly Jerusalem, which is referring to the church. And because the original text contains all the meaning that was intended by God, that's why we study, uh, study the original text. And another thing is, in 1 John, it says, believers of God will not sin. But many translations translate that into if you work hard, you will not sin anymore, or something along that line, the line of that. It's because they don't know the state of the old self or the new self, that they translated it in this way. So these are incorrect translations. <coughs> and sometimes the subject and the, 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 predic the, the object has been switched. For example, this is written in, translated in this way in Korean as well. 
This is God, who's uh, Yahweh, who's my strength. I love you. I love him. It's not the case. We do not love God because He gives us power, but rather we are we love Him, and so He gives me power. It's, this this revelation should not become conditional. And there are many translations that uh, mix up uh, this great these great revelations. So you have to be careful about reading the Bible in your translations and study the original text. There are some verses that were left out completely in these translations. Then the, the previous verses and the next the the, the, the the verses afterwards cannot be connected together. So you should always receive the truth from the original text, which holds the, the, the true meaning. So pastors especially need to study uh, you need to study Hebrew and Greek. Verse 8. Now through the mercy of God, God is going to restore Israel. And we're going to end this conference with this restoration. Now the, 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 the mood changes. God decides to forgive them. He forgives them before they are taken into captivity. In Isaiah 44, it clearly says that God has forgiven them before they were taken captive. He forgives first and then awaits them to return. When the prodigal sons left with his, with his inheritance, the father was already to forgive him and receive him back as soon as he left the, left the house. Amen? That is the love of God. How can I give you up, Ephraim? God will not give him up, give them up, even though they are they are wicked, even though they betrayed the Lord. God will never betray Israel. How can I hand you over, Israel? Isaiah 49, 15, 16. How can a, a woman let go of a child she has birth? So even if you forget me, I will never forget you because I have written your names on my hand. We, writing names on the palm of the hands is usually a, a, a thing done to servants. They write the ma master's name on the hands of the, of the slaves and the servants. So this is how much the Lord loves us, that He's willing to inscribe our names on the palm of His hands. We need to receive his, the, the will of His love. It's not important for you to love God, but rather you need to receive His love first. Because when you, once you have received His love, you'll be able to re reciprocate that love. How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboyim? Where is Adma and Zeboyim? There are cities next to Sodom and Gomorrah. And when Sodom and Gomorrah became wicked, they received the, the punishment and the judgment of, of, of fire. But Adma and Zeboyim did not need to be judged. But because they were influenced and became wicked along with Sodom and Gomorrah, they are, were also destroyed. 
But even though God judged uh, and destroyed other minds, the boy of these little cities, God will not destroy Israel as a whole. My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. What does this mean? Within the heart of God, there was a turn, there was a change. So God's love and His righteousness came in conflict. He should kill them if, if, if His righteousness has won, had won. But love has won His heart. It's because His compassion was aroused. Within the love of the Lord, there is a property of, of compassion. And this word compassion comes from the word for a womb, the womb of a, of a woman. So the love of the Lord has this strong will to, to give birth to, to its child. And, and that's why God chooses to love Israel. What is this prophecy talking about? This is talking about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. The son that saw the, the, the conflict that the father was going through spoke to the father saying, Father, strike me and satisfy your righteousness and would you manifest your love upon your children. That was the event of the, of the cross. Jesus knew of that, that compassion within the heart of the Father. And that's why He, he, he striked Himself so that God's justice, His righteousness may be satisfied and that what, what remains is His love. In Hebrews, it says, in order to receive grace, you have to go, come before the throne of grace. The reason why you have to go before His throne is, is this. We need to receive grace and we need to receive His burning compassion because that is the life of God. If we cannot receive His compassion, we will not live. This is a, prof this is a prophecy of the crucifixion. Amen? <clears throat> so Hosea is a great prophet. He, taught, he prophesied about salvation. He prophesied about the coming of the Messiah. And that's why he, he was a great prophet. He, he foretold things that would come in 1,300 years. So when you think about the prophecies these prophets made, it would bring goosebumps to you. <coughs> Why didn't God judge Israel but receive them again? It's because of the great event of love that was, a uh, great event of sacrifice that was made by His Son. And the fact that we have received the holiness of God, in the perspective of the Old Testament, the righteousness and, and love always came in conflict. They were equal in strength. But in the Old Testament, through when they would 
on the day of atonement, they would delay the, the judgment of sin. So instead of them, their own death, they would put to death a, 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 an animal. And they would prolong, they would delay that time of judgment. Because, that, because the sin itself is not resolved in them yet. And when they sacrifice the animal on the altar, the sin will be put into the animal and they will be it will be accumulated in the in the temple. So in the Old Testament, their sins, even though they offer these sacrifices, is only delayed. So righteousness and love is, is both active in the Lord in that in the Old Testament. And so that's why in the Old Testament, if people saw the glory of God, they would die because the sin because sin has not been resolved within them yet, and so they would die. But in the New Testament, glory is different. Romans 3.26 says, uh, talks about this. In the New Testament, uh, love and righteousness are no longer in equal. Jesus, the Son, has satisfied the anger of the Lord. He has satisfied His righteousness. So people who believe in this, pe people who, who believe in this, they also receive that satisfaction of Jesus. The satisfaction of, of right, righteousness. And that's where we can receive the love of the Lord. What is proof of that satisfaction of righteousness? In Hebrews 12, it says God has sprinkled His precious blood upon our hearts. That blood is not the blood that was used on the cross. But that blood is a pure blood that was, that was in Jesus when He kept Himself away from sin. Because in order to sprinkle His blood on the altar, the, the high priest would need a, need a clean blood that, is not, that has not been transferred to the, the, the sin of Israel. And that pure and innocent blood has been sprinkled upon us. So now we're in a state where that the righteousness is, is, is satisfied. So we can come before, before the Lord without the fear of death. In the Bible it says when we go before the Lord, Jesus would hold our hands and say, Father, I have shed my blood for, the, for my brother. And that's why we can come before the Lord without dying. This is a privilege given to those who have received his victory. Now, we, even if we see the glory of God, we will not die. Rather, we need to live, in, uh, we will live when we, when we see His glory. And the image of the Lord will only be completed when we see the light that shines from the face of, from the face of glory. So we have to realize how, how amazing it is what, what the Lord has done for us. Jesus completely turned upside down uh, the history of human of humankind for the past 3,000 years. Because when Adam sinned, sinned, they needed to sacrifice an animal in order to create clothing for themselves to cover their shame. That was the price of sin. So before the time of Jesus, all that was done, every sacrifice that was made was only delaying the the the, the the judgment of sin. And so they would die when they, when they are exposed to the glory of God. But everything changed after Jesus. He has sacrificed Himself. He has taken upon the cross for our sins. And He has given us His blood. 
And now no longer are our sins delayed, but it is erased. And God says, I will never again remember your sins. Isn't this amazing? And Hebrews was opened to me like 12 years ago, I think. But for a while, I was filled with amazement. And I could actually smell the scent of blood in my nostrils. When I read the Bible, I would, it would smell like blood. And I was like, what, what is this smell? And that was the scent of the precious blood. And back then, when I, when I cast away demons, I would utilize the blood of Jesus because it was so powerful. And of course, I still use it now, but now I use other things as well. Sometimes it was the blood of Jesus because we have, we have the right to utilize this blood. So you just sprinkle this blood upon your children, sprinkle it upon your churches. So it's an amazing fact that we can see His glory and live. So let's applaud God for, for clothing us with His righteousness. In our perspective, it is so simple. But He had to become a man. He had to wear the flesh. And He had to live, rely on the Holy Spirit whilst with, withholding His divine power. And He had to die on the cross for, for, for us. He endured through all this because He loved us. And He gave the result of His sacrifice to us. So let's applaud and give all the glory to Jesus. Now, we cannot live without seeing His glory. We have to see His glory in order to live. We have to meet Him face to face. Amen? I hope you will see Him today as well. Let's move on. Verse 9, I will not carry out my fierce anger. This was all done through the sacrifice of Jesus. In the Old Testament, if God does not show His anger to Israel, what is the issue? It says in the, in the law that you need to stone to death the children that disobey their parents. And so if God continues to, to neglect Israel in the state of sin, then... Then God... Uh, God is going against His own laws. Look at Daniel, look at uh, King Darius. He was unable to change the, his own decree. And that's why he had to kill Daniel or send him to the lion's den. Because human kings cannot change the decrees that they have made before. But, but our master, our Lord, he can go against his own rules and regulations. He can decide curses and blessings. He can decide, if you do this, you'll be blessed. If you do that, you'll be cursed. But even if you're to be cursed, He is a God that is able to change that into a blessing. Baals and other deities cannot do this. They have no power to do this. You are believing in a God that can turn curses into blessings and blessings into curses. This is an amazing thing. So that's why even though we, are, we were to die, if you believe in Jesus, you can live. Amen? It is possible because He's the Master. 
said King Ahab was to, was dying, and so Elijah came to him and said, "You you are prophesied his death." And when he came out of the the palace, Ahab become became humble and become became poor in spirit. And Elijah took a hold of Elijah and said, "Return to the palace." And speak to him, saying, "You will no longer die." God can change His judgment. That is not an ordinary thing, because His name is on the line. For the King of Kings to go against what He said before, it is not a simple matter. For example, upon to Job, what did what did the demons say? It's because God protected Job. <laughs> it's because God protected Job that he was he was righteous in the eyes of God, and it is, and that's why in order to test Job, God allowed uh, these demons to come and torment Job. But God knew that Job would endure through this without without turning against the Lord. When you look at this, do you think God is God? God is a bad person. That He would use His people that love Him and use them as test subjects. <coughs> God did not put a bet on Job because uh, He He liked His odds. No. God actually decided this, this this test without knowing without knowing the results, because he loved Job, he he gave up his omniscience. Even but he was re, he was ready to be responsible for Job, whether he was victorious or whether he failed, he would be responsible for Job. So God went against his own law. But can the enemy come and accuse God of his uh, of this action? Of course, because they are fearful of the Lord, they cannot say it directly. But they can come and speak words of slander to us, because you have sinned. God has to God has to go against His own decree in order to save you. He they can speak words of slander to us like this. But even though God changed His own laws. He takes full responsibility for his actions. That's why he sacrificed himself. In First John one verse one, or verse two, it says, "Our our advocate of blood has shed his blood for us." So whatever you do, if you're clothed with the Lord's righteousness. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the enemy cannot bring a case against us. He has perished. He has uh, destroyed all trials, and that was possible through the power of the Lord. But he didn't use his power alone. But he took he he he, he took full responsibility. Am I in debt? No, I have no debt anymore. So the enemy has no charge against me. So are you still? Do you still feel guilty? Do you still hear voices of accusations? It's because you don't believe that 
Jesus has done everything, resolved this issue for you. And that's why you're still being accused. That's why you still feel guilty. You have to say to the enemy, do not move. God has done everything for me. He has paid the price for me. He has finished all the trials. You have no charge against me. And so, we cannot go against him in his power. And also the enemy cannot, cannot have nothing to come, have nothing, have nothing to hold against us. Because God, Jesus has, has paid the price for us. And so we have the best lawyer, the best advocate in this universe that guarantees us And so, saints, the, the terminology that, 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 that sticks to you is, is freedom because the world can not ask anything from you. Demons have nothing to hold a charge against you. All you have to do is seek the blood of Jesus and believe that Jesus has done, done it all for you. So should you use this glory or not? You have to use this glory because in the name of Jesus, everything is finished. Blood of Jesus. Amen. The blood of Jesus is not the fart of Jesus because it sounds similar in Chinese. Before, when I was uh, leading the conference in Singapore, <laughs> in the morning, I went out, in, I went out into the lobby. Many saints were laughing amongst themselves, themselves and sharing the grace they have received. And I asked them, what, where did you receive grace? They said, Pastor, you keep saying blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus, but it sounds like the fart of Jesus in, in our language. And it was very funny to hear them say that. And they're not remembering the grace that they have received, but they're remembering such little things. Let's continue. Let's finish uh, verse 9. Nor will I devastate Ephraim again. God is going against his own rules. But he takes full responsibility for his actions. God, in order to love us, he goes against his own laws. And he, he lays down his own name. And even laid down his own omniscience, omniscience. This is a tremendous act of love. This is what He has done for you. I am your head pastor. I cannot easily go against what I have spoken before. And rather than, uh, uh, this is not relating to my position. But even yet, this is, this is the King of Kings that is going against His own laws. He's in charge of the universe. He's in charge of all the angels. And he's in charge of all the demons. And all of the, of the rest of creation is looking towards what the Lord is saying. So he cannot easily change his words. He cannot easily go against what he has said before. But because he loves us, he did exactly that. 
and he took full responsibility for his actions. If you believe in this, then you will see the skill of his love. <laughs> and you have to ask yourself, am I a being worthy of his love? You cannot find that answer. And that's why we can only cry. That's why when you receive his love, you can only cry. Because I do not feel like I am worthy of his love. You cannot understand why God did this for us. For a while after I met the Lord, I cried a lot because of this love. And one of the confessions that I lifted up to the Lord was, Lord, why did you love me so much? How can I possibly understand your love? Many times I prayed like this. No matter how much I think about it, I am not a being worthy of His love. If you are the, the God in the Bible, why would, you like, why would you give up your omniscience for me? Why would you give up your own name for me? Why would you go against your own laws for me? I, I, I questioned the Lord many times. And I cried constantly. I think I cried for a whole year, 24 hours a year. My, my bed was always wet. And then quickly the Lord started to unravel the rest of, rest of the Bible to me. When, when the book of Hebrews was revealed to me, when I received the revelation that the one who is holy and the one who has been made holy are of the same nature, I went insane. And He called us His glory of praise. Uh, praise of glory. So when you fully understand what the Lord has done for you and you receive His love, it is right for you to go insane. When you love a woman, you go insane for that person. But when you understand the love of the Lord, you would also go insane as well. When I was uh, dating my wife, her house was an hour away from my house by car. So after the date, I would bring her home. Because I don't want to be separated from her, I would take her back to my house. And then I would, and then I would bring her back to her house. And all throughout the night, we go between our houses because we were crazy for one another. And so in the end, I said, I can't do this anymore. Let's live together. And that's why I married her. When you love, you go crazy. And it is the same for the Lord. When you love the Lord, you will go insane for the Lord. When you love somebody, nothing else comes in between uh, uh, nothing, nothing, else, nothing else comes between you and that person. That's why when you love the Lord, nothing else will come between you and the Lord as well. Is that how much you love your husband? Let's continue. Uh, we have to finish. For I am God, not a man. Agape itself is godly love, not the love of man. Love belongs to God. Love does not belong to man. So it is a, it is a, you, it is a misconception that you can love something. Agape comes from, from God. In John it says, You love me for I have loved you first. 
Only when we receive the love of the Lord can we love others with that love. Because love does not belong to man. And agape cannot be used by man either. The only person that can, that can sacrifice himself to save us is God and, and God only. And man cannot love by himself. The Holy One among you, I will not come against their cities. <clears throat> Who is the one that is among Israel? It is the Holy One. The holiness in the Old Testament is where love and, and, and righteousness were in equal parts. So in the, in, the old, in the perspective of the Old Testament, if the Lord came with His holiness to Israel, then they would all die. But then on Mount Sinai, God came upon the tabernacle. Why is, what is the reason for the, for the tabernacle being there? So Mount, God was on, on Mount Sinai, and the people trembled in fear. So the people told Moses, go and speak to the Lord. But, but later, the tabernacle was, was built in the middle of Israel, in the middle of the Israelites. <clears throat> and it was very natural for the Israelites to be fearful of the Lord. But even in the midst of the presence of the Lord, they still committed sins. But now it is a season where Israel no longer is able to receive the holiness of God because they would die if they receive it. So that's why God had to stay within the tent, within the tabernacle. But now God has made you into His tabernacle. The Shekinah glory is within you. But if the Holy God of the Old Testament came into you, then you would die without you knowing. Because no man can withstand that glory. You would die just by looking at that glory. But imagine that glory coming into you would be obliterated. But that, but that God has come into you. But He's not come against you with anger. Why is this? It's because Jesus has handled everything. He has resolved everything. He has satisfied justice and righteousness so that God can come to us with love. This is what, this, is what uh, this verse is prophesying. <clears throat> It's very difficult to explain this verse according to the perspective of the Old Testament. The only reason why God can come to us with holiness is because Jesus has resolved the issue of sin for us. He no longer works in us with anger and wrath. That is the Shekinah glory that is within you. It is also the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 4. You are tremendous beings. That's why you are a temple of God. In one word, you are, you are the Holy of Holies. So God is leading you according to the principles of the Holy of Holies. So you have to realize how many misconceptions you have when it comes to your faith. And today I, I talked with my wife. Let's say God gave you a perfect car. 
But this car, this car is it needs gas to drive. But every day you put water in that car. That perfect car won't be able to drive with with the wrong fuel source. Many of you are living that kind of life, though. If you put gasoline into it, it's going to drive very well. But you keep putting in water. That 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 water is not going to 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 drive that car. Even though God has perfected you, He has made you into His temple. Do you understand what this means? He has made you into His holy of holies. He has already given you all the nobility He has. Why do you live such powerless lives then? Why do you live with nothing to show for? It's because you're putting water in your perfect cars. You put water in the tank and you say, "Lord, it's not driving." You put water in and you start to kick the car, saying, "Oh, this is a piece of trash." That's why, even though you are a sanctuary of the Lord, you keep filling it with useless and filthy things, and you complain to God, saying, "This car does not drive." And imagine how frustrating it is in the eyes of God. Please put some gasoline in your cars. Revi- restore the functions of the of the temple. You need to restore the functions of the temple within you. Amen. We are near the end. I had no idea that I was going to preach for this long. Verse ten: They will follow the Lord, or He will roar like a lion. He will roar, roar like a lion. What does it mean for a lion to roar? It means he has captured its prey. He's roaring to signify his victory. Roar! You gotta be an, you gotta be a good actor. Try roaring. She's a terrible actor. At times he roars, but, there, there, but the lion also roars when he's calling his 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 offsprings, his couplings. So it says, when he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. Now God is calling out to his children for them to come back. And the children will hear the voice of the of the parent and, and come following after it. His children will come trembling from the west. If they were in Assyria, they should be coming from the east. But why is it coming? Why are they coming from the west? This is the fulfillment of the fulfillment of the end times. Israel is gonna. It, the Jews are going to gather from the Mediterranean Sea. So this is a pro, uh, eschatological prophecy. Since the Lion of Judah roars, all the Jews that are gathered, are scattered across the world, are going to gather in this in the, in the Holy Land once again. And this prophecy is actually being fulfilled right now. You have to listen carefully. <clears throat> right now, the Lion of Judah continues to roar for his children to return. And prophetically speaking, is calling upon the Israelites. But 
through through the doctrine of the church, it is also a time that it, the line is rowing for the remnant of the Lord to return. You, you need to be able to listen to the roar of the Lion of Judah. My children, come. Gather in, in the true churches. Gather in number. Amen. So starting from verse 8, Hosea has been preaching of the flow of the New Testament. Verse 11. They will come from Egypt trembling like sparrows. The reason why they're trembling is not because they're afraid, but because of the fear of the Lord. So in chapter 7, uh, Hosea called, God called Israel a foolish dove. But the restored Israel is no longer a foolish dove, but pure like a pigeon, a pure like a dove, and wise as a serpent. And they're gathering from across the world. They're coming with the fear of the Lord. And ecclesiology is also the same. Pure spirits, spirits that are uh, that have the fear of the Lord, are gathering the ch- uh, in the remnant churches. It's also the prophecy of Joel. Joel. And that's why we are raising up remnants around the world. Remnant, you need to gather in remnant churches. This is the prophecy of the two lampstand. In the end times, we will we will uh, be uni- united in in the church. Zoe ministry does not exist to benefit your individual churches. Zero Zoe ministry is gathered as one church network, as one bo- uh, one community through one truth, one one spirit, one goal, and one love. We move together. Amen. We are all a family. We are not individual churches here. Amen. We are a family. Amen. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. This house talks about the eternal resting place of the Lord. And soon the Lord is going to come and declare the new Jerusalem to, to upon this land. And we will be in the kingdom together with the Lord and reign with Him for eternity. His coming is near. God is holding on to the doorknob right now. All He has to do is open the door and He will enter. Right now, in order to enter the universe, He's at the, the border of the universe. And he's awaiting his 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 entrance with the with the heavenly hosts, and when the timing comes, he would he would descend into uh, upon this earth, riding a white horse, white stallion, and he's gonna step into Jerusalem. And when he steps upon this land, there's going to be a great earthquake. 
and all of the Palestinian regions will crumble down and Mount Zion is going to be raised up and the golden moon that was buried in the ground right now, is buried in the ground now will, will resurface and God will enter Jesus will enter through that uh, west eastern gate and we, you, you will be there with Jesus enter through the gate with him Amen let's pray We cannot leave just like this. You have listened to this tremendous message. You need to activate this message within you. Today as you pray, you have to receive this unfathomable love of the Lord. His amazing love. Inexplainable, unfathomable. You need to cry out before the Lord while receiving this love. Who am I to receive this love? He laid down His name he sacrificed everything he had. He went against his own laws to come and love me. And through his love, we were able to receive his holiness. And we do not die because of his love. Lord, help us to live being your temple. Lord, even though you have given us this great car, we have been putting in water instead of, instead of fuel. Help us to restore all the functions of the, of the temple. Perfectly, help us to perfectly operate all the functions of the temple. Show us and help us to experience what it means to live manifesting the glory of the light of your glory. Help us to understand what this royal glory is. through the proclamation of this word let us experience how your words never fall upon the ground your remnants are gathered here in this season where your second coming is near help us to fulfill your nobility and let us use the nobility that you have given us you are my temple you are my sanctuary I have paid all the price for me to give you my glory Nobody can, can, nobody can guilt you. Nobody can accuse you. Nobody can stop you. Go. Step forward. Breakthrough. Let's pray. So now the doors of the... the the doors of the new season have been opened which will renew the presence being poured upon each church help us to stand up strong as your remnant churches we offer all the offerings that were given to, in this conference you have given us the spoils of war of authority over materials we should let this abundance overflow in all of the churches and help us to become a source of blessing to, to the rest of the remnant. Especially, would you bless Sabah Yerbang Church for hosting us and serving us in this conference? Now, by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the church, and through the holy love of the Father, and the indwelling, comforting, fulfilling work of the Holy Spirit to the saint, 
to, to the beloved saints of the new season. And upon, especially upon all the Zoe Minister churches that are attending this conference, and upon their nations, and upon all the churches of Zoe Ministry, let it overflow, let it be filled. Amen.